Hello and happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Misfit Podcast. I am your host, Georgie Paul, and today I have an incredible, powerful, inspiring interview for you. I interviewed my friend, Georgia, and you'll hear in the beginning of the interview, I don't really want to go into it, how I came across each other and all of these weird things that happened that led us to this conversation But I was completely blown away by our conversation. She inspires me so much. And we are close to the same age. Our name is very similar. You'll hear all about it. However, she has overcome so much in the last four years and really turned her pain and these unexpected things and loving someone with a drug addiction into such an incredible purpose for her life and... I really am looking forward to you hearing it and hearing your feedback. And if you know anyone that is struggling with addiction or loves someone with an addiction or something is something traumatic has happened to and they need to find strength or, you know, we talk about postpartum, we talk about loss, we talk about like getting up and starting again and and mental health. There's a lot of things going on in this conversation, so I really, really hope you enjoy it. And after the interview was over, she messaged me, and I said, this absolutely goes without saying, my friend. But she wanted me to say, to add in that, you know, having her daughter is her greatest accomplishment. And after hearing this, like I said, goes without saying. But I wanted to add that in for her, and she's so proud of being a mom and her daughter and everything. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. If it is helpful to you, please share on your social media. If you're listening on Spotify or any other platform, you just click the share button and you can share it to your stories. That's really helpful because then it gives awareness to other people and they can hear it. Or if there's someone that comes to mind when you're listening to this, if you could share it with them, she shares resources for addiction or dealing with loving someone with addiction and different things like that that I think could be really helpful for a lot of people. So it's a taboo topic that's not talked about often. So I'm really proud of sharing this information um, with her and, and listening to her perspective on it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Hi, Georgia. <laughs> It's Hello. A, it's so weird to say Georgia because I don't know. About, I know. I don't know about you, but um, nobody ever has my name. So you know how you're in, me, you're me in class either. with somebody, and like there's two of you. That's never happened to me. Nope. And if anybody's <laughs> talking about Georgia, or if they do say Georgia, it's this lady in the nursing home, or my yeah. grand, my great great grandma, or something. I, I I don't know anybody personally named Georgia so it's actually it happened to me um when I was pregnant there was another girl in the waiting room and they came out and called Georgia and me and another girl stood up and I was I was totally baffled because I was like there I've never met anybody else named Georgia and they were looking for her and not me <laughs> you're right and then for me everyone always asked me what's my real name and I'm like, yeah no it's Georgie they're like is it Georgina is it short for something and I'm like nope, nope this is it and see people always used to call me georgie and i'm like i would get so aggravated i was like my name is georgia not (laughs) georgie even as a little kid i would get so aggravated my name is georgia right not georgie not georgie anna 
not all these. And there's like a select few people that can call me. Like I have a friend who calls me Georgiana and she's the only one that does it. Or my dad, like a lot of my close friends call me Geo. And yeah. so like, that's cool. But I'm just now I'm 27 years old. Like, okay, I'm okay with those. Yeah. <laughs> the only nickname I have is my dad. And like my dad's side of the family calls me George, but that's it. Do you, are you named? Yeah, see, are that's you, my dad's name. Really? Are you, I was yeah. going to say, are you named after somebody? So yeah, him? Yeah. Yeah, they got really creative. <laughs> so I'm named after my grandpa. My grandpa was like my mom's favorite person in the world. And um, when she got pregnant with me, he passed away. So I was either going to be a George or a Georgie. And then people always yeah, people always like like my spelling. They're like, that's unique. And I, I asked my mom and she just said that she's like, oh, I just wanted to change it. So it wasn't just his name, you know, make it like a, di- right. a different... Yeah, so we this episode is really fun, guys, because George and I have only known each other really through social media. We're from the same place, but um, I think we really started interacting with each other because we were pregnant at the same time. What's your daughter's birthday? Um, the 29th of August. Oh, yeah, it's the same. I, I, was, I was wondering that today because I was actually telling my dad about this, and I was like, I can't remember if she had him the day before or the same day, because I knew that we, you went to the hospital before I did. And yeah. I'm like, she had her baby before me. Like, I was, I was so ready to just be done because yes. I felt so miserable. Yes, I knew. Yeah. I knew you we had were pregnant. Really early in the morning, right? Three forty-five a.m. That's what I thought. Yeah, because yes, I was going to the hospital, and I was like, she had him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we were pregnant at the same time. So we kind of, you know, started interacting that way and you know now we have four-year-olds i i didn't know that their birthday was actually on the same day though yeah well and i remember you messaged me because it was weird because like our names are close mm-hmm. and then i'm pretty sure that you had the same girl name picked out that i did like if you had a girl i think you said it was going to be nora yes or something I, I, along I, those lines i know that's crazy too because i i loved that name but i knew it was gonna have a boy but i think early on i told you that so it's just it's yeah, just, it's just like the universe setting this conversation up, you know. Like, well, and fun fact, I don't know if you knew this, okay? But I also worked at Subway. Did you? <laughs> yes, because I worked. I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names, but the twins from New Lex. Oh yeah, yeah, Nick and Nate. They, I worked with them, and yeah, and their mom was my manager, and she was amazing. I worked yes. at Subway too, and so I was like, that's so weird. Yeah, they will we be. Both, they will I be worked my... at the one in Crooksville, though. Yeah, they will be my family forever. A small Catholic school, and there is literally like 10 of us from kindergarten to eighth grade. So (laughs) even if I never talk to anyone that I went to school with again, I will always look at them as like my family. Always supporting and cheering for them. But anyways, yeah, so we got this this uh subway we got the same names our kids have the same birthday i was gonna, I, i'm sure you weren't gonna name your daughter aramis but i did love no, the, i did but, love the name uh, nora it, yeah we definitely went through quite a few names but i knew i just knew i was gonna have a girl mm-hmm. i don't know i just that instinct i was like no i'm pretty sure it's gonna be a girl see but. i knew i was gonna have a boy and I had all these crazy names like josh and i went rounds because we wanted all these crazy names the first name that I wanted to name him was Wolf, like the animal. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I And Josh was like, no. And then he wanted to name him after Superman, which was like Cal L. And I was like, 
I will be damned. We're not doing that. Um, and then we finally agreed on these like Greek names. Actually, at one of our company's events, there was a speaker and his name was Aramis. But the Greek way of spelling it is like H-E-R-M-E-S or whatever. And he always said that he always got called Hermes. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I spelled <laughs> yeah. it so I could call him Ari. And then the worst part was two months after I had him, the bachelor's name that year was Ari. And everyone thought that I, like, named him after the bachelor. And I was like, no. I'm like, no. I'm, de- <laughs> I'm deeper than that. I'm deeper than that. <laughs> but, yeah, so we've had, like, lots of good conversations about lots of different things. But... I guess my first question is on the same wavelength as me as like self-improvement and growth and stuff like that. Where did that come for you? Like, where did that start? When I was 21, uh, right after I turned 21, I got out of like a really rough relationship, um, toxic, lots of alcohol, you know, just miserable. And so I finally was like, no more. I want my own place. And so I moved, um, I moved to Zanesville and, you know, it's only 20 minutes, but it was like, okay, I got my own place. Cool. You know, but then you find yourself by yourself mm-hmm. in your own head. And then you start, oh, well, maybe this is the way that I am, you know, and you just kind of start piecing things together. And like, I finally came to the conclusion, like, Georgia, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. You're really depressed. Like, you're calling off work, you will sleep in bed for, you know, 36 hours, you know, you just, you don't leave, you won't leave the house, you haven't showered in a couple days, like, you're depressed. And um, I finally was like, I need to do something. And so I went to my doctor and got started on antidepressant. And it helped. And you know, you kind of have to make tweaks and stuff. And, but that was a big thing for me was getting over the stigma of you're depressed you have depression you have depression you have anxiety and it took me a while to be able to like not feel stigmatized or embarrassed by it like okay this is what it is when I got I met Taylor I met Nora's dad um about six months after I think I had kind of started the okay you need to work through your depression kind of um healing those generational wounds kind of thing like you know the reason our parents are the way they are is because the way their parents were with them and they're doing the best they can and they're wounded and their inner child is you know traumatized and did you go to therapy self-awareness um trying to think i feel like you're speaking you're speaking therapy language i want to know is this like a book i've been to therapy okay i have been to therapy i'm pro therapy i I started going to therapy after nora's dad died but um i was i was doing okay you know i was on my antidepressants like everything's fine and then when i got pregnant struggled a little bit but i was still able to like stay on my antidepressants and you know, there wasn't like a fairy tale relationship. We had our struggles. I mean, he he was who I wanted to be with forever. You know, he would drink and could be a little mean and we argued about things and, you know, but at the end of the day, like we loved each other. And after I had Nora, I had really bad postpartum. I had gained weight. I was, I couldn't fit in any of my clothes. And like, we were broke. I was, you know, I worked part-time as a receptionist and working on his sobriety and was in kind of like power court kind of thing on probation. So he worked under the table kind of jobs and 
I didn't have the money to go out and buy a bunch of maternity clothes. And so I'm fitting and I'm packing myself into clothes and I'm breastfeeding. And I, <laughs> That's I a whole always topic. had, yeah. And I struggled with it and it was, she was such an anxious baby because she would like, you know, they feed on your anxiety. And so she would cry and then that would make him anxious, which would make me anxious. And so there was just, it was a lot. And so I had, you know, medication increases and things like that. About, I'll ask you a couple questions yeah. about the postpartum. Absolutely. Cause I feel like a lot of, a lot, most people go through different ways of this. So I will just kind of ask you about yours and then see if like ours is similar or different. So with yeah. you, with your depression, with your postpartum, was it, do you feel like more sadness or anxiety or anger or like what, what were the feelings that you experienced through your postpartum? For me, it was, it was a lot of different things. It was like, I remember the first day that we brought her home and I, they called it like the post, like the baby blues. I I literally had the realization, and it's kind of actually weird because we brought her home on August 31st, and a year later, that's the day that her dad died. Um, but as we, I remember vividly because I had to, my, he was like, call your mom, talk to your mom. Like, I was holding this precious, you know, innocent baby and just looking at her, and I just started sobbing because I realized we're all going to die someday, and I don't want her to ever be left alone. Like, Ugh. it just hit me, and so just from that right there. And then of course, you know, we have all the anxieties because, you know, I co-slept and you have the, you know, the SIDS is the most terrifying thing in the world. And I'm trying to breastfeed, but she doesn't want to latch. So I had to pump around the clock. So I had anxiety about keeping the supply, anxiety about asking him for help because he loved her, you know, but it made him, he wasn't, I don't think he knew what to expect with yeah. fatherhood yeah. and um, I don't I don't think it was and you were 23 at this time. what he pictured I was yeah I was 23 when I had her and um so I'm trying to you know I'm getting back to work I'm still trying to breastfeed and like I said she didn't latch so I had to pump and bottle feed and so you're pumping every two hours with a fussy baby that wants to be held constantly like I was really worried she had colic and um so it was just really, really anxious. And then around December, so she was about four months old, he had gotten off probation. And I noticed slight, like subtle changes in him. Um, but like, he didn't want to be intimate. He would get really like pissy. Um, he would, he just wasn't himself. He, you know, you could just kind of watch, you watch them decline, I guess. And come to find out he had relapsed around this time. And he made me feel bad about like my body because I had gained weight, but that was kind of his way of, that was his excuse for not wanting to, you know, do be intimate. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm huge. Like you just feel completely horrible about yourself and um, you don't realize it's because like your drive when you're on drugs is nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, fast forward about six months and Nora was getting ready to turn one. He died from an accidental drug overdose um, like the day after her birthday. And um, 
we like she we were gonna have her birthday party on Saturday. Um, he well, he died Thursday night. We found him Friday morning, and so we had to cancel you know Nora's birthday party to um, plan his funeral. And so you know then the emotions of because I was I had found him doing drugs about two weeks before this, and I made the decision to you know kick him out you know not not in my bathroom I thought he fell in the shower and here I found him with paraphernalia and a spoon and a lighter and and you're I'm completely baffled because here I thought maybe he's just struggling like with maybe he's taking some benzos or something I never imagined it was that out of proportion I never realized like it was that bad so I made him leave and you know that was really hard like it was really hard to because I I was scared like what if he leaves here and goes and dies or what if he all the what ifs and but like I had this one-year-old baby relying on me to protect her and it wasn't that I thought he would hurt her but it's like you're bringing drugs in my house and these drugs are killing people Right. And I have to put her first, you know, I, and, and also those are child endangerment charges. If you OD and I have to call the squad, Children's Services is going to come asking me questions. And I had, you know, if I know that you're living here doing drugs, like I'm going to catch her. Like I'm a good mom and yeah. I will do anything to protect my daughter. And so I had to make that really hard choice to tell him like, you got to go. And he died just a couple weeks later. And that was tough. That was really. I mean, as a mama, it's yeah. like your your strength just takes over whatever else that you're feeling because it's like yeah, you will do anything to, you know, protect her, keep them. Yeah, and I was like, I can't. I'm not gonna have her traumatized. You know, it's like I didn't grow up in a house with drugs and crazy stuff like that going on and and she is not either you know she's gonna have the best life possible and I will do anything to protect her and and what was great was I didn't have like backlash from anybody about it either even his family was like Georgia we get it Mm -hmm. we get it like you have to put her first and so Having that support was really good. Um, I think, honestly, having the support that I did is the only reason I made it through all of it. Um, but I started going to therapy a few months afterwards. I had I had a breakdown at um, an OB appointment, something just stupid, you know. And um, oh, girl, you deserved a breakdown. Started... Are you kidding? <laughs> You are so freaking strong. And I mean, just having a baby's hard, let alone dealing with all of that. But I'm, I'm grateful that you're willing to talk about it because you know that my family's been affected by drug addiction and all of that too. And it's a huge taboo topic that people don't want to talk about and it's happening everywhere and there's so and many- it doesn't discriminate no and that's the reason that I do talk about it is because I know that I'm not the only one in this position and there's a whole generation of kids that are going to be growing up without one sometimes two parents because everybody's getting a hold of these drugs and and I'm 
everybody's dying from them. And it's just sad, you know, kids getting raised by grandparents and, and foster care. And, and it's I'm, crazy. I mean, I worked at a juvenile center and a lot of these kids are in here because they don't have anywhere else to go. They have parents that have done horrible things and it's just sad. And it's like, I know that my daughter is not the only one and, and she's one of the fortunate ones. Not every kid has that. Has a strong parent. And, or, I, and, and the support system, you know, she's got so many wonderful grandparents and like his family and my family, they've all just been wonderful. And, and Taylor's friends, like they've become family to me. And it's just the support that we have had has been absolutely wonderful. And it's like, I don't know how people who don't have that make it. Yeah. Truthfully. Well, honestly, I think it would be things like this and people like you having the courage to talk about it because you can't understand if you haven't been through it. Like I can, I can listen and ask questions and empathize, but I will never understand what it's like to be you. So it's important that you, I'm like I said, I'm so grateful that you're willing to talk about it because there's somebody sitting alone right now that doesn't know how they're going to make it through this. And obviously, you know, you're going to go into what's happened since then and, and how you've healed and, and moved forward. But one of the things that is really close to my heart that you said is the it doesn't discriminate thing because I've seen some really nasty opinions and comments about you know drug addicts and they're just you know scum of the earth and all these things mm-hmm. and let them die save the Narcan and it's just and it's like it they're not me. they're not to me I go into this and this has been a huge realization for me because I struggled with, I'll just say my family members, um, drug addiction and like as a person on the outside of it, which you can tell me if you, I'm sure you went through this, like for a long time, I just had anger, like a lot of anger towards because I couldn't empathize or understand. And you take it personal. Mm -hmm. And to me, what the final, like the biggest shift and I wish people would really understand is just because... An addiction is an addiction, and I feel like at some point people face something that they feel like they're out of control with, whether it's, like, I'm a nutrition coach, so I I see people all the time that struggle with food and struggle with controlling that, or, you know, pornography, or gambling, or, or a relationship that's toxic that you can't get yourself out of, and anything anything that feels like it's overtaking you and there's a there's a list of a thousand things and even if you're not someone who has an addictive quality if you're numbing like we talked about this actually in the podcast a few weeks ago if you're numbing like tv all this stuff to me one is not different than the other And like you said, I know extremely successful, polished people that have a drug addiction. That are addicted to prescription, things that are prescribed to them. Mm -hmm. And they, oh, but I'm better than XYZ because I don't use it or I don't use this drug or... Alcohol in general. Right. It's a social acceptable. And I'm not standing up for drug addicts. I'm standing up for humans. Right. I think that for me, 
I had an experience, like, where I felt like I constantly kept going back to something, and that, like, awakened me and gave me empathy for him, because I was, like, kind of can see this, like, it's, it's a much smaller scale, like, I work with people that are addicted to food, or they have some kind of eating disorder, or something like that, or I am close to somebody that I watch go through a different addiction, and they there's a whole cycle where they don't want to do it. Like my family member in particular, I watched cry and say, I don't want to do this and tell what they just did. Like there's a whole Mm -hmm. nother side of it that loving somebody with an addiction is a whole nother metal of armor. And and it's hard because you kind of have to learn to love them. I'm going to love you from over here. I have to love you from a safe distance because you're disrupting yourself. Like I'm here for you, but I can't enable you. And I also can't put myself in harm's way with the decisions that you're making. But do you realize how strong of you that is? Like, that's where I want to know where that comes from and how you've developed that because most people can't do that. Like most people aren't strong enough. Like, where do you get that self will if someone's listening to this and is in the same situation? For me, um, or do you think it was Nora? When I think Nora definitely was a big thing. When we, when I had kicked him out, you know, he took it as you don't want to be with me anymore. You hate me. Da, 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 da. And I finally had to sit down and explain to him and And it took me a second to even find the words to understand the way that I felt, but it was, I love you. I don't want to see anything bad happen to you. I am here for you. I want you to get better. You know, if, if you can get the help that you need, get better, we can, we can figure things out, but I want you to get better first before we worry about what label we put on our relationship. You know, if you can come to my house and be sober, I'm not going to keep our daughter from you. I'm not going to do that. But if you come to my house and you're visibly intoxicated or under the influence, you're not welcome. But it was just because I don't want you to live here and we're not together right now doesn't mean that I hate you. I still love you. And I, I, still to this day love him of course but it was they're staying here that puts us at risk and and I think it may have been a lot harder for me to stick to my guns and and make those boundaries if it hadn't been for Nora yeah but you know we live in a one-story house and you're hiding needles in our the register like in the bathroom you know how the registers are on the floor that's absolutely terrifying and you know, if you're going to make the, I can't let your decisions affect us. Right. And that was really hard. And I just, so, I don't know, you just do the best you can for your kids. Yeah. So that was when Nora was one and Aria and Nora just turned four. So what has the road the last three years look like for you to get to this place So he died in 2018 and I had just started school because I, um, I was in nursing school years ago. Um, and so I decided I wanted to go back and finish my degree. And so I had rolled in college. I had just started. It was my first week. He died over the weekend. Class was on Tuesday. I went back to class Tuesday. Funeral was Monday. And, um, 
and I went back to work on Friday and it was really tough. I tried to stick it out and finish the semester and then I just found myself, you know, it was hard to pull myself out of bed to get a shower, let alone go to class and do work. So I ended up deciding to switch gears and change schools. The school I was going to would have been like three years and I would have had my RN. And then when he died, I realized um, I really don't have three years to waste. Uh, I've got a kid relying on me and I need I need to start making better money sooner. So I decided to go to the vocational school and I got my LPN. It was like 10 months. And so I wasn't able to work because of the way the hours were. So it was a rough year, but um made it through nursing school and passed my boards. I originally worked in so dermatology amazing. and that's where I wanted to stay. Huh? That's so amazing. <laughs> I still, you know, and, and I recently started, I'm trying to get my RN, but I, um, I had left a job that I was at for about four years and started working in corrections and everybody thought I was crazy. So that was last year. I graduated with my LPN in May of 2020, passed my boards and all that stuff. And then I took a job um, at the jail, and like I said, everybody thought I was nuts. They're like, what do you mean you're going to go, you know, work with quote-unquote junkies and, you know, the worst of the worst? And I was People like, you know, so judgmental. Everybody, everybody in here is somebody, somebody, and Taylor had been to jail, and um, so that kind of had given me perspective, and he had talked about it. It was like it was like a, a college retreat or something like he <laughs> somewhere to go have fun for you know the weekend and it was just like okay but so I started and I just fell in love with it and yes I treat people for all kinds of things I have people that come in and withdraw and you know I don't judge them and I and I'll ask I'm asking you this so I can treat you are you coming down from anything? Should I expect you to withdraw? And if so, what are you withdrawing from? And, you know, people don't want to tell you a lot of times because they're embarrassed. And I tell them, this isn't for your charges. This isn't for me to judge you. I want to know what I can give you to help you feel better because we'll treat symptoms like, but I like, I really enjoy taking care of people. And, and I, that's another place that I can go and I can tell my story. Right. And I've, I've had people that are detoxing from fentanyl screaming for help because they're so sick and they're so miserable and they're like I don't want to do this anymore and I've told it and you think about going back and doing those drugs again remember how bad you felt remember screaming for help in a cell like at the lowest point in your life and you know and I tell other people they'll tell me that they're they're coming down from fentanyl and i tell them you're glad you should be glad that you're here to withdraw from it because not everybody gets that lucky mm -hmm. and so but and, and i don't try to be rude about it it's just i kind of i kind of keep it real yeah and but i it, like coming, being able to talk to a, people it's coming from a place of compassion though and people feel that and they feel your energy and you're not looking at them like or treating them and like you're actually doing what an incredible yeah. nurse is going to do for them and and like it's like you said a real talk with love like I've been through this hear my story and 
maybe yeah. you're doing that even if it what if just one person gets clean because you were their nurse you know what i mean right like what a what a powerful way to use that and i'm sure that that helps you with finding some type of meaning it does because it's everybody in there is somebody's loved one and and i can see my loved one and a lot of the people that are down there you know whether it be what they're there for the things that they've done their addiction you know i have people that they just cry to me and they they're like i have kids and i need to get better for my kids because or they've got you know my kids' dad already died from, from drugs and now here I am in jail and, and I need to be there for my kids. And, you know, we get them in touch with mental health and we try to do, you know, there's not as many resources as, you know, I'd like for there to be, but it is something. And so I try to just be, I don't want to just go in and do the bare minimum and be done talk to me. What can I do for you? Do you, you know, want me to get you in touch with the clergy or, you know, what I have people tell me all kinds of crazy stuff and that they've done or, you know, and I've seen, I've had real jerks too. And, of course. you know, I've had people be rude, but it's just one of those places where you just have to be assertive and not take people's crap. But, you know, you don't have to just come at everybody like, they're a POS because they're in jail. Right. Because if you can have empathy of you making a mistake, and I I think that some people put themselves up on this, like, soapbox just because my mistakes aren't jail-worthy or we've all made mistakes. Like, we've all done mm-hmm. things that we didn't want to do. And I, I think that there's... I love meeting people and having conversations with people that have a level of compassion because people are people. And like you said, I go through this every time. I think, like you said, we were talking about perspective on the last couple episodes. And I just think about, like, what has this person been through that's led them to this? You know, nobody nobody wakes up and chooses to destroy their life. Nobody wakes up and chooses to just wreck everything and and right. and get addicted to something or make a horrible life decision or nobody wakes up yeah. trying I'm gonna to go wake up that. today and go to jail or yeah. you know they it just doesn't work like that it starts as something as simple as a sports injury and you have to have surgery in high school and you get that prescription of Vicodin or Percocet and you know it just escalates from there and then eventually you know, one thing isn't enough. So it just leads to another. And then you become so willing to do anything. And, and this was something that Taylor explained to me because it was like, well, why, why keep doing it? And it's like withdrawal from something like heroin is, and of course I wouldn't know personally, I've never touched hard drugs a day in my life. Um, but he talked about how you feel so horrible that you will literally do anything to make it feel better. And you know that there is one thing and one thing only that is going to make you feel immediately better because you feel like you are dying. Mm -hmm. That means lying. That means anything. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you hate yourself for it. And then that's the other vicious cycle is they relapse or, you know, they, they do it again and they feel so horrible about it, but they don't know how to address those feelings because we don't like, we don't like feeling guilty. (laughs) So we need to bandaid that with more drugs or more alcohol or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's a whole cycle. And, and mental health is such a big thing because it's like having undiagnosed mental health and the lack of coping skills is is how people end up I think a lot of times in that vicious cycle you know Mm -hmm. they don't have the resources or the support yeah to be able you know to to just get better to get a walk away from it and I mean one of the reasons that I started this and just my main beliefs and everything is I just think that the more information that you can get out about something like so many so many things in my life have gotten better or I've changed or healed because somebody was willing to create a YouTube video or a podcast or write a book that have literally to to educate others and that's saved my life you know so I think about that and I think about these people and and even you listening to this, your thing that you are struggling with or your depression or your anxiety or your addiction, even if it's the smallest thing that isn't going to land you in jail, but it's something that you can't have control of, there, look, go look for information. Like, even if this is the kickstart to go find the information that you need, even if, even if, you know, Georgia, there's probably books, I guarantee you there's books of loving someone with an addiction somebody's written that book I guarantee it you know I've read that book okay yeah so it's like I've read that book it's it's just a way for anybody listening it's called everything is horrible and wonderful and it's by Stephanie Whittles okay um it's a really good book I love it's a really good book and so it's she's talking about her brother that died from a drug overdose and um going through all of that from the beginning to him dying to him after and like his legacy. Um, it was a really good read. Yeah. I love that. Really good read. Yeah. And if you afterwards, if you have any other resources or anything, I'll add it to the, the show notes in this, but I just, awesome. I think that this was awesome. I mean, I know that you're, you're obviously pulling at my heartstrings cause we're from the same two towns and between right between you know our towns and where you live now i mean i've lost so many people that i've gone to school with so many of my i can count on more than two hands people that i went to high school with that have died from drugs and it's awful and i hate it yeah and then i see people that i know in jail for drugs and i tell them all the time please get better because i don't want to see you i don't want to go to any more funerals yeah i'm sick of watching everybody die It's just, I think, trying to, again, I would never speak for somebody who who lives with that because I don't know. So I think, again, it's easy to, for us to sit up on our glass house and give them everything to do because it, but I believe that, you know, it is their fight. It's, it's our fight with everything that we fight within ourselves. And this, this goes through everything, you know even if you don't feel like you're struggling with something, maybe it's you not sticking up for yourself in your life or we are all fighting something. We all have to fight and overcome something. So 
just I think the more conversations that you have like this <laughs> and the more conversations that people write books and YouTube videos, like if you have something to share that could yeah. help somebody, I know this is going to help somebody to listen to it. I mean, I think, I think that you are amazing. Like, I think you are so amazing and anything that like for someone to live with a purpose and the fact that you went through all that and went to school and handled it, like you're freaking boss and you're going <laughs> to, you're going to inspire people for sure listening to this absolutely well thank you you're welcome thank you very much leave anybody with something what you were telling me earlier the the thing that you live by that your dad helped you with i think that was great we live and die by the choices that we make and it was it started as like a corny thing that my dad used to you know say to us all the time and then as life kind of went on and life happened and things played out it was really hit home and it's true and of course you read the comments from the news articles and everybody has an opinion and well he sought it out and it's true he made the choice to seek out the drugs and to do the drugs but she also made the choice to sell the drugs and profit off somebody that was in the lowest place of their life and he died and whether I say she should or shouldn't be in jail. The courts, the law says that she has to have that. And so he died by his choices and now she has to live with hers. And, and we all have, we all do that. We have to live with the choices that, that we make. And whether that be, you know, what we eat for breakfast in the morning and how we fuel our body or the people that we surround ourselves with or, you know, our career. It, there's just so many choices to make and it's just so important to make the right ones because it can all be gone in a second. And you can find yourself, you know, in jail or relapsing or anything, mental health decline. It's just important to try to, you know, listen to your gut and let that be your guide to doing the right things. I love that. Oprah said, that's Oprah, Oprah's main quote. Have you heard her talk about that before? No, I haven't actually. I thought you were going to, I thought that's where you got it initially. So you'll have <laughs> no. to, you'll have to look it up. I love Oprah though. You'll have to look it up. It's like the main thing that she says, but she always says, just do the next right thing. Yeah. And you said that And to that's me. something I learned in therapy. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she always talks but, about that. Yeah, she just... talks about whether it's like in her business or something traumatic happened or you're lost or whatever. And it, it's it's similar in the same language as Will Smith is like my favorite person ever, just so you know. <laughs> and he, he talks about building a wall, which I always bring up this reference, but he talks about like you don't look at how big the task this is the difference between him and other people he says other people look at how big the task is and he just looks at the next like laying the next brick so he talks about building a wall right. and how his dad made him and his brother build this wall and it took them a year and a half every day after school they just went and put one brick down and sooner mm -hmm. or later you're going to have a wall there and i think for me and everything i've done you know in my life and my business 
if I were to just look at, you know, 10 years out and try to start that, it's too overwhelming and it scares people. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've just always tried to do that. Like, what is this one little tiny baby step? And that's listening to your journey. It's like, there's no way day one going through this crazy out of nowhere, didn't expect this to like you are going to find your purpose and become an RN and all this, like, that would have scared the shit out of you. Like, there's no way if you would have focused on that, you would have been too scared to even start. So it's like, all you have to do to climb out of whatever, and same thing with your health journey. I talk about that all the time. Don't, don't think about flipping tires and eating perfectly right now. Like, you just got to stop drinking pop. And then make the cho- yeah, make the choice to cut out the junk food or the pop. Just drink more water. It's it's the small things, and it's it the small steps are still steps. And I'm gonna quit my dad again because mm-hmm. he's just chock full of all kinds of crazy things. And uh, he always would tell me like, "How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time." And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, okay. Like, yeah, one bite like you would anything else. Just one bite at a time. One day at a time." one step at a time and it's it's okay as long as you're moving forward and that's what matters this has been awesome georgia thank you so much for your time (laughs) thanks for having me it was great talking to you thank you for listening that was my interview with georgia i really really hope that you gained incredible value from it and were inspired there's a couple times i was choked up during hearing her talking And I just really think she's a beautiful soul that can inspire a lot of people. So thank you for listening. And if you could please share the podcast, I'd be extremely grateful. We upload new episodes every single Tuesday. So we will see you next Tuesday. Have an incredible rest of your week.